Hi, this is Elliot. And this is Lily. With Cream Sweeper Podcast at Bosque School. As New Mexicans, fire is becoming an increasingly persistent reality in our state. New Mexico has consistently experienced a fire season in the months of June and July, but the fire season of 2022 started in early April. The season was particularly impactful with almost 20 fires raging across almost a million acres. Despite the mass damages, youth across the state are taking action to engage with communities that are affected and to share their experiences. For example, Bosque School alumni Katya and Rain conducted several research studies during their time in high school that monitored the impact of fires in the Rio Grande Bosque and in forests in northwestern and southeastern New Mexico. For example, Bosque School alumni Katya and Rain conducted several research studies during their time in high school that monitored the impact of fires in the Rio Grande Bosque and in forests in northwestern and southeastern New Mexico. Okay, hi, I'm, I'm Katya. Um, I'm a recent graduate from Bolska School. I'm now attending the University of Montana. I'm studying wildlife biology with a minor in Spanish. Hi, I'm Rain. I'm also a recent graduate from Bosque. I'm also a freshman at UM. I'm also studying wildlife <laughs> biology and I have a minor in climate change. We looked at Mexican spotted owls in the Hammonds and the um, Sacramento mountain ranges. Um, and we collected their pellets to analyze whether the species diet had changed based on different environmental stressors, such as um, competition, fire, drought. and drought. Yeah. One of the biggest problems with fire is not only just the loss of riparian mixed conifer deciduous habitat, but also it makes the habitat so much more open. And so it causes a big problem with competition, specifically in this region with um, great horn owls. Um, up here north, it's with the northern spotted owls, it's barred owls. Um, but basically these other competition species are more generalists with their habitat and they really like open habitat as well as like the particular habitat that the Mexican spotted owl likes. So they do really well, no matter what happens with these fires and that sort of thing. So a lot of, lots of predation on the owlets and just, the way that Mexican spotted owls thrive, the most ideal habitat for them is this layered mixed coniferous forest and in Ruidoso, just from the picture that we took, and there was still a fire that occurred there this summer that we weren't able to go um, see, but like just from the pictures earlier, just the fire damage is incredible. Like you'll like take pictures from the like actual roosting nests of the trees and like just like patchiness all over the place just like some areas completely wiped out by fire so it'll definitely be prevalent to keep doing some diet studies out there over the next you know decade or so to see it if you know changes in diet continue to be happening then kind of expanding that too based on your research how do you think that fire will continue to affect new mexico and specifically like the middle rio grande valley versus forests that are kind of accustomed to 
having regular wildfires. Well, we already know that, you know, fires and drought are going to continue to increase very heavily. The fires are going to be more frequent, way more intense, less controllable. And places like Ruidoso and Jemez are not going to be able to adapt quick enough to how intense these fires are going to start becoming. And we assume that it's going to keep getting worse with the climate change. So not looking good for that. So it's basically what's happening. Um, Also, it's like like we saw this summer in the um, fire that happened, the Montano fire. Um, That was definitely, like, I mean, I'm sure you guys know, like, there's so much fuel buildup in there and it's not just there it's it's all over and um because drought keeps getting worse and worse there's not enough moisture for forest floor leaf litter what have you to decompose in a way that's going to help the soil and it's just going to stay down there drying and just waiting to be burned and so it definitely is a question of management and recognizing that it's a huge risk um, for not only the societies around it, but this ecosystem's health. And I think even even areas that may be more adapted to you know, quick recovery from fire are still going to have a hard time just based off of how the statistics that we know about how intense fires can get and how recovery, like, yeah. I mean, we are even seeing with the Montano fire, like the recovery of the cottonwoods was very difficult because... And a lot of them are probably not going to make it just because that fire burned so hot. It burned all the roots underneath too. And even forests that might um, generally have a easier time coming back are just going to struggle. Could you talk a bit about your work with the Montana fire this summer and all? So uh, there, I guess there's kind of multiple layers. Yeah. Um, I could talk about one layer. We worked with the city forester, Sean O'Neill doing some DBH surveys, um, looking specifically at the cottonwoods in the area. Um, we measured the DBH of every single cottonwood, taking the diameter of all the trees and entering them into a database for the city that the city could then use um, to make those calculations. That was one layer. That was one layer. <laughs> the next part of the equation was looking at how much new growth was in the area. So we um, took inventory of all the new cottonwood sprouts. Um, Let's see, we looked at um, other native species and invasive species. So we looked at like new Russian olive sprouts, new salt cedar sprouts, tree of heaven, New Mexico olive, black olive. And so, yeah, we took a little bit of a tally of how many sprouts of each of those species were in the burned area to get a little bit of an idea of how much new growth was happening in there. And then we looked at any like pest damage. So like any aphids eating at cottonwood leaves and that sort of thing. We took that. Let's see. This is like two months post fire. Yeah. So there had already been some significant regrowth in mostly invasive species. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. But as expected. Yes. And then we put all of that information together and made a presentation to, oh gosh, (laughs) (laughs) some sort of council, including this, including Sean O'Neill, including the people from the 
Forest Service in Redoso and Jemez, including some of the people that we had run into um, through our senior thesis and that sort of thing. To kind of wrap up, what do you think should happen in the kind of inevitable, inevitable forest fires that happen in the future? What should be kind of that protocol? Well, first, first off is that fire burned way hotter and way faster than it should have under normal circumstances because there was such a thick layer of like understory like bushes lots of like buildup of like dead down and dead woody material that could have not easily been removed but could have been removed um that would have prevented you know such such a severe fire to happen which could have saved a lot more of the cottonwoods that's the first yeah first thing i think also we don't know how that fire was started but the majority of fires that happen in the middle Rio Grande Valley are human caused. And so it's, and so when we have this big, huge buildup of down and dead woody material, it's a huge fire hazard and we're the ones setting it on fire. Let's not, let's not get it twisted. It's not the environment's fault. And then it's also, it's not a fire driven environment. So like controlled burns, they work in some fire-driven environments, but this environment used to be a flood-driven environment. And so I think um, it's worth looking into restoration because another kind of piece that plays into this is like the damming and the water crisis that we're having in this, that we've completely disrupted this ecosystem. And so the fact that these these species are no longer, we've completely changed their environment and they are no longer functioning the way they should be or they would be if we hadn't intervened um, is really kind of interesting. And so, so it's not really a straightforward, like we got a bandaid, we can do this. Yeah. I mean, I just drought at this point is, is inevitable. So we just need to be very, very vigilant with the way that we handle things just because of how dry it is. Fire not only affects the immediate environment, but the people in it. Youth like Angeli, who lives in Truchas, New Mexico, are heavily impacted. The effects of fire are felt quite viscerally through these communities in ways that are often not portrayed. Uh, hi, I'm Angeli Cordova. I'm 15 years old and I live in Truchas, New Mexico. The social impact of the fire was huge because, I mean, Espanol is a pretty big city and you can see the flames and the smoke. So that's a big thing, first of all. And um, we're actually part of two wildfires. So we had the Calf Canyon in Thuchas, where I live. And then we had the um, Midnight Fire, um, which is where the other half of my family lives in El Rico. So two pretty big fires. We had cows in both of them. Um, so we run livestock and when we go up now to check cows, I mean, you can clearly see the damage that the fires have left. There's a lot of burn area where the cows graze. Um, I mean, the landscape is completely different. You'll see just like miles of burn. And I mean, the cows can't go in there to graze as much, obviously. And I mean, we haven't heard much from the Forest Service now about it. But um, when the fire was going on, they were like, yeah, there are going to be animal like fatalities and there's going to be some change to the ecosystem. 
through Chestfire, that was scary because, um, I mean, it was right there. You know, it was on the peaks, two peaks away from my house. And, I mean, we're up there. We're in the mountains, you know. So um, knowing that it could get to us. But I'm really fortunate because through Chest is really well protected against that kind of situation. Not only were youth who are native to New Mexico impacted by the fire season, but people from all over the world. The United World College in Montezuma, New Mexico, is a boarding school that invites high school students from countries around the world to live and learn in Montezuma Castle, which is also a historic monument. Their students were evacuated for over a month when the Calf Canyon Hermit's Peak fire hit in April, and three of them speak on their experience, as well as the injustice that New Mexicans face when it comes to wildfire. Hi, I'm Marco. I'm a senior year student here at UWCUSA, and I'm from Italy. I'm Suzanne. I'm from the Netherlands, and I'm also from a senior at UWCUSA. And we were evacuated last year for about a month and a half um, when the fire <laughs> came to Montezuma. I'm Shahaf. I'm from Israel, and I'm also a senior at UWCUSA. I remember there was one weekend that was really scary about the fire. I remember it was coming really close and they made like a, a line around our school and the firefighters oh, wow. were sleeping at our school and they were just there were 800 firefighters just fighting for our school. And I remember that was pretty scary. But on the other hand, I also remember thinking that like, at least we have another home to go back to. Like, you know, this is our home, yeah. sure. But like these teachers that evacuated with us that live here on campus, they're, they're home burns. Like it's- I, I yeah. seen that like the- scariest thing ever during the evacuation is that like we called this place home for like almost one year and then you got evacuated and you knew that like in milliseconds your school could burn down and place you called home yeah. could burn down but following up what Suzanne said is like we had our other homes we can go like fly on the other side of the world and go mm-hmm. back where our family are at but then while saying at Glorieta and while other people got displaced and evacuated seeing that like that all they had at that moment was maybe just their car, the family and like their doctor. It gave it like a like a real like thing. I think I, of course we all heard about climate change and its effects before, but I think back home for me I didn't feel its effect as much. Like we focused on other things. And mm-hmm. then being here and living that situation and especially in Glorieta seeing families that are like lost their whole like life for this because of this was very like it gave it a very real feeling and like it showed the consequences that I don't think I actually realized before yeah I think a big part of this was seeing the families because we all were you know we were like fine we were you know living we had our whole like we had the nice rooms and everything and then you see these families coming and they were like sleeping in their cars with like six people, the whole family, the dog, the horse, like, you know, and it was kind of crazy. And those people, like we had 800 people around our school, like keeping, protecting it, but those houses were not protected. Like there's a lot of these people whose houses just burnt mm-hmm. down because it was like five houses next to each other and it was not worth saving it, you know? And so yeah. I think also what I kind of noticed from it was like how much money has to do with it. Like, firstly, that it happens in New Mexico, that this whole situation happened. Like, we learned a lot about, like, how it happened and why it really impacted New Mexico and, like, how money had to do with it. Ultimately, fires change the fabric of a community. As fire seasons become more intense across New Mexico and around the world, youth are forced to change the way they view the world and interact with their community. 
As we move forward, youth can help us inspire the community to take preventative action. Keep an eye out for our next episode, which will cover art and ecology and shows the impacts of fire in the media. Thanks for listening. This podcast is made possible thanks to Bosque School, an independent preparatory school challenging education in grades 6 through 12 since 1994. We'd like to say a special thank you to Mr. Shaw and the Goodman Project. The Severn Goodman Youth Leadership and Environment Project Responsible Action for Ecological Integrity is committed to advocacy, emphasizing the importance of students and others taking direct action to create a more sustainable human and environmental community. It also works under the premise that humans are a part of the environment. We'd love to hear from you. Contact us at cranesviewpodcast at bosqueschool.org or find us on Instagram and Twitter. This episode was directed by Lily Lawrence and Elliot Patton and produced by Dan Shaw.